0: Welcome in, everyone, to Scoop Jour. I'm Jordan Black. It's so funny. When I set out to create Scoop Jour, I wanted to make it so that you could just find an episode you were interested in, whether it be a media member, an athlete, a parent of an athlete, a husband, a wife of an athlete, a former coach, a former athlete, whoever it may be. Find that episode. It wasn't weekly. Um, it didn't go in order, and you could just listen. And I wanted to come on today and be like, oh, I hope you've been enjoying season two, of Scoop du jour and have listened to the episodes with Ashley and Shane, or listened to season one because they've just been so interesting and inspiring. But of course, not necessarily the purpose. Of course, I hope you listen to all the episodes. But that was what I wanted to come on here and say. And then I was like, wait, not exactly what I set out to do. Of course, um, always hope you listen to all the episodes. But Anyway, um, today's guest is so exciting. Our first horse racing host, analyst, reporter, Acacia Clement. Um, She's just wrapped up Triple Crown season, but she works for the New York Racing Association and does so many exciting things in the horse racing world. But she's also a former Miss Connecticut, so she shares a lot about pageant life, which a lot of people don't have insight into. So she's a former Miss Connecticut USA and Miss Connecticut America not to mention she's one of the sweetest people I have ever met. So um, really great nuggets and insights from her. And I think it's really interesting to have someone from this realm of the sports world because we haven't gotten to chat a lot about that yet. Plus her husband is a horse trainer. So she shares so much about that side of horse racing life. He's the son of Christoph Clement, who is a renowned horse trainer. So really some interesting stories from Acacia. It is was a really, really interesting episode. And I think you all will love it as much as I loved hearing from and listening and learning from Acacia. So a really, really great one here. Um, Plus I've gotten more requests than any for my fiance to be a guest. Now, listen, he is not a former professional athlete or anything, but that doesn't mean the man doesn't love sports. So uh, if we can get Dr. Colton on here. We will do that. Um, but we have some really great and exciting guests coming up on season two. So if you love scoop du jour, um, please do not forget to subscribe, like follow all the things, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, it would mean so much to me and to the show. Tell your friends all the things, um, and make sure that you're following along for this ride. But without further ado, we'll get into this week's episode with Acacia Clement. Welcome to Scoop (laughs) Du Jour, Acacia Clement. It is so nice to have you. Um, Host, reporter, analyst, our first horse racing host, analyst, (laughs) reporter, um, joining us, an analyst from the New York Racing Association, which is part of Fox Sports. This is so cool. You're currently the host of America's Day at the Races, and we're in Triple Crown season, so it is perfect. Thank you so much for being here. You must be busy, and I'm so glad we got to, like, Get you for a few minutes at least. Um, this, like I said, is probably the busiest time of the year, but the coolest, right?
1: It is. Um, you know, it's funny. Right now is really kind of the busy season is picking up um, with the the circuit that I cover with horse racing. I'm based in New York. I'm. I, have for the past several years been down in Florida for the winters now I'm full time with the New York Racing Association but um has still been doing some stuff throughout the winters but the winter is usually a little bit more quiet now for my season so things are really picking up um, at this moment we had the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness already and in now less than two weeks Saturday June 10th is the Belmont Stakes which is at my home track at Belmont Park so that's where like we are full steam ahead everything is related to the Belmont we still have our regular race days going on. But of course, you know, all eyes are pointing towards that the final race of the triple crown. And then it's just going to be busy from then on basically through the end of the year. So, but it's all good stuff. It's fun.
0: Whenever you're hosting and something's at your home track, whether it be in horse racing or football, baseball, basketball, whatever it is, does that kind of add a a sort of pressure or is it kind of a cool, you know, this is special to me that it's at my my home place and I'm, you know, the host if you will.
1: Yeah, I, I think it makes more, makes it more special. You know, on our show, um, we are based in New York. Everything on America's Day at the Races, though it's on Fox Sports, is produced out of um, NIRA, the New York Racing Association. So everything is kind of done in house and picked up and put on Fox. So while we have the support of the network, it's not like a show that's produced by um, a big network on most days. Belmont State say it will be that case. Um, but for the most part, it's everything that's done like in our little core team that we have here, you know, I'm my own hair and makeup, I'm my own research department, I'm, you know, my own um, script writer, editor, everything, you know, all of that. So um, it makes it that much more special when you get a chance to put on um, a show on a big day and showcase the work that you and the team do all year round. So I think that kind of makes it more special because this is something we do regularly and it just kind of heightens it and brings it to the next level when you have that many more people watching for such a big event.
0: That's something I think a lot of people don't realize. And it's something I talk to a lot of reporters about, you know, when you get to a a network level, you think, oh, you have the glam team, right? While you're studying or doing your notes, somebody's doing your hair and makeup. And, you know, for someone like me who started in Greenville and then went to Fayetteville, Arkansas, like I I did the hair and makeup myself and, and still do, right? But you, you think, oh, you know, you're part of New York racing association. You must have this glam team and you're doing everything, the producing, the writing, the scripting, talk about your day to day and everything that goes into the lead up, not only the glam, but also Mm -hmm. the prep, the studying, the research, all that, all of it.
1: Yeah. There's so much prep that goes into it. And also I think like any sport, you know, if you're, 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 Um, beat your covering football. You're going to know the players, you know, their typical tendencies, you know, the kinds of um, things that they'll lean on, you know, you'll kind of expect what they're going to do in 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 a certain way. And you'll also be surprised if they do something outside the box, or you know the team, you know who you're covering. It's the same exact thing with horses. You know a rider's style, you know the certain things that a trainer is good at, or maybe not that good at. And then you also, get a chance to be familiar with the horses when you cover one circuit um, consistently. So like being here in New York, um, I have my trusty iPad and I keep all my notes, every horse that I see. um, I take notes on the trip, what happened during the race. I also take notes physically. So like if I think a horse may be running the wrong distance or on the wrong surface, or um, if there are some changes that I'd like to see, or I felt like the horse looks better than he did last time, or felt like he looked better in the previous race versus today. Those are all kinds of things that I'll take notes of. And then that helps with doing all the prep work moving forward. Um, I watch a lot of replays. You look up stats. You uh, look up interesting facts. You try to read articles with Notes with quotes from um, the horsemen, from the owners, with um, something that's going on, especially leading up to the big race days. So there's so much more prep involved in it than I think people realize. And also, horse racing is a game with a really rich history. You know, um, it was so popular a uh, hundred years ago, really. Mm-hmm. And I think that. It's, um, it's been under a microscope recently, and rightfully so, and, and it's come under fire. And I think as somebody that's a host of a racing show, it's our job to make sure that we bring the best information possible to the fans. And we also help people watching who may not be regular horse racing viewers to understand what the sport is about and why it's something they should support.
0: Can you talk about the difficulties of managing the tradition with the hard part of, of a sport being under fire, right? Every sport is going to go through difficult parts, but Mm -hmm. you mentioned what's going on in horse racing, whether it's, you know, the Bob Baffert of it all, or what's going on at Churchill Downs. Mm -hmm. Those are negative storylines, if you will, but they're things that happen. Um, how do you manage that as a host and kind of continue on while also having to talk about these things?
1: I think it's something you need to be sensitive about. And I think that, um, like you said, it's it's an act of balancing tradition with also what's doing right for our future. You know, I am um, not somebody that was born into the sport. A lot of people that are involved in racing, their parents were involved, their grandparents, it's a, a familial kind of thing. And that was not the case for me. I always loved horses. My mom was a really talented rider and I grew up riding, but more in kind of the hunter, jumper, and showing disciplines, not in horse racing. So um as I came into this game, I it was something that I loved. And like I said, I always loved horse racing. And now my husband um is actually an assistant trainer to his father. So my father in law and my husband are both racehorse trainers. My husband is third generation. And so his family has been involved in the sport for a long time. Um, And so I've I've been able to see both sides of it. And my husband's family, which I'm really proud of, and also, um, something that I want for the future of the sport because of my husband, Miguel is that they have shown, um, my father-in-law Christoph, has been training for nearly 30 years and he's never had a single medication positive. He's never come under fire for anything, um, that's questionable as far as taking an edge. And he's shown that you can compete at the highest level, while doing so with integrity. And I I think that that's something to be very proud of and something that we need to continue to highlight because there are a lot of people in the industry who are doing things the right way. Unfortunately, we only see in the press those who are taking an edge. And I think, unfortunately, it kind of ruins the whole thing for the rest of us who are trying to do things the right way. So um, I think it's something you have to be sensitive of, but it's also something you have to be really aware of because perception is reality. People are going to say horse racing is involved in all of these negative stories. And it's my job to highlight the positive stories and also to push to make sure that we as a sport can improve for the future.
0: I love how you talked about the positive because I think that's one of my favorite things about sports in general, right? Like we got into a business of highlighting positive things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the positives is that you – somewhat get to work alongside your husband, not, not all the time, but you get to see him. So can you tell us how, how you met him and how cool it is that you sometimes get to see him um, in, in the thing that you get to do every day?
1: Yeah, it's funny. Um, we actually met at the racetrack in the winter circle. So very poetic.
0: Um, but it was my
1: very first year uh, working in horse racing. And I was working on the radio at the time for a company called Horse Racing Radio Network. And we were up at Saratoga, which for those not familiar, Saratoga is the July and August summer meet. It's the, the pinnacle of New York racing. Um, as far as all of the daily races are concerned, everybody wants to be there. Everybody wants to win there. And it was the first weekend and um, my first like show working for them for the summer. And um, Christoph, my now father-in-law, won a race called the Diana, which is uh, one of the premier races for turf females. And um, I interviewed him. it was my first interview of the summer. And I'd kind of known him and his wife and um, they have a daughter who's a couple years younger than me, Charlotte. And um, I had just finished my time as Miss Connecticut. So uh, Valerie Kristoff, Christoph's wife said, oh, have you met our son, Miguel, Miguel, come take a picture with Miss Connecticut. it will be so fun. <laughs> and uh, so we actually have a picture the day that we met. And it's it's really funny. I was never that like love at first sight um, moment, but I actually so vividly remember the moment that I met him. He was leaning against the rail watching the replay of the race they had just won. And um, I actually didn't up until that point know that he existed because he had just come back from doing a two-year program called called The Flying Start, where you travel the world. Um, they work in Dubai, in Ireland, he spent time in Australia, and you learn all different sides of the racing industry. So he wow. had just finished that program, um, and there's only 12 taken every year. So he had just finished that program. And when we met that summer in 2015, he was then going off to work in South Africa, and then to work in England for two years after that. And I was going back to finish college. So timing was really not on our side and we actually reconnected then in 2019, also in Saratoga when I was first hired by Naira and we started dating and it was just like within a month, I think we knew we knew that if we started dating, it was going to be a long-term thing and I think within a month, we knew we were going to spend the rest of our lives together.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. That's such <laughs> a good meet you. Like... A perfect story. And then you got married last year? Yes. Yeah. We just celebrated one year in March. So exciting. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. And then, so his family does training Hill kind of, and, you know, be an, an assistant trainer. Can you explain that to folks who might not know, you know, what the trajectory is?
1: Yeah, and I didn't explain the second part of your question. So sorry about that. But um, so Christophe Comant, my father in law is a a well known, really successful trainer, primarily based in New York, and he does New York and Florida, um, as far as the circuit, which a lot of horsemen do. Um, And so he has uh, now pretty large number of horses and horses at a high level. So he has two divisions. So he's based right now at Belmont Park, which is on Long Island in Elmont. And then he has a second division in Saratoga, uh, for months from may to november so miguel is his assistant trainer uh who's my husband he oversees the division in saratoga so he's based there for six months and florida for six months so he is responsible for about 60 horses by himself right now even though he's not the trainer um, that's listed but he's a huge part of the operation and assisting his father um and eventually uh, when christophe will retire, Miguel will take over the operation. And you'll see often in horse racing, like I said, people stay involved through generations and you'll see a certain trainer whose son will work for them as an assistant. And then eventually that son will go out on their own as a trainer and father and son will be competing against one another. Um, For Miguel and Kristoff, that was never something they wanted to do. And um, I I also really respect that and, you know, it's everybody's personal decision, but I think it's great that it is such a family affair and that's always been such a big part of it too. So um, right now he's in Saratoga, I'm working on Long Island. So on my off days, I actually drive the three hours north um, to go see him. uh, Because training horses is a seven day week job and you're up at four o'clock in the morning. And so his schedule really doesn't allow much flexibility right now. And then he's the one that's a little bit more flexible in the winter um, to kind of accommodate my schedule. So we make it work, but that's always kind of how it's been. Um, And so usually in the winter in Florida, and then the summer for two months in Saratoga, we get to be in the same place full time, which is nice.
0: Oh my goodness. I mean, but like you said, when it's what you've always known, right, you know, no different and you make it work. And I like that you mentioned it's a family affair, the business, and you said your family, you didn't grow up in horse racing, but you grew up loving horses and you showed horses, you did dressage. um, If I researched correctly, and you did we we all do the research, right? Walk us through (laughs) your love of horses began at a young age and kind of how you got to where you are today reporting um, in what's such a neat, um sport that that a lot of people don't get the the chance to um to talk about for a living. Yeah,
1: it really started with my mom. Um my mom, Sherry, is a very accomplished, very talented horsewoman and she always loved horses and um showed a lot and at a high level when she was young. And then as she got older and she got married and she had me, she would stopped riding and when I was about eight years old I expressed an interest in wanting to take riding lessons and which I think is amazing she started taking adult classes at the same barn where I was and I just think that's so cool and she always showed me that it's okay to pick up things that you love and go back to your passions and I think now as an adult um I really remember that and I respect that so much. You know, my mom took dance lessons when I was a kid, something she'd always wanted to do. My mom went back to riding and, you know, it was something that we shared and we did together. And um, I think that was a really good message for me that I didn't even realize at the time. And so it's horses have always been a passion and something we both loved. And um, we ended up in 2011 um, starting a nonprofit organization for x ray horses that are done racing and we help retrain them and rehome them for a second career. And that was actually how I got into the sport of horse racing because I knew horses from that side of things. And I started to learn a little bit more about the industry and wanted to be um, a positive part of it. So. Yeah. That, that was kind of the the trajectory that set me on the path to where I am right now. And I owe a lot of that to my mom. She also told me to give Miguel a second chance. So she's been right about a lot of things along the way.
0: Oh my gosh. I love that. Well, <laughs> your nonprofit is such a cool thing. And Uh, such a big part of the industry because I think for, especially a lot of us who know a, a little bit about horse racing from, and what I mean by that is we like it. Um, but you watch horse racing and, and correct me here, but like horse, horses are at their prime when they're so young. And then it's like, what do you do with them? So talk to us about, um, what you do in your nonprofit and how important it is to rehab and rehome them.
1: It is. It's it's tough because horse racing has a pretty small window as far as where horses are at their prime. For those not familiar, the Triple Crown is for three-year-olds. You can only run in the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont Stakes as a three-year-old. There are plenty of other opportunities as horses get older, but especially the ones at the high level, you'll maybe see them race at four, maybe at five. Um, and then if horses go to five, six, seven, they're really old as far as racing is concerned. Um, but in other race in other horse disciplines, like show jumping dressage, horses that are six or seven are considered very young. So there's a huge opportunity for these horses to go on and do something else after racing. And there is an organization called the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance, the TAA, that accredits organizations that do kind of what we do. And there are, I believe, 74 nationwide. And um, Racing for Home, which is the organization that my mom and I run, was accredited a few years back. And they hold all of those organizations to very high standards. They allocate some funds they also make sure that you're doing things the right way because it is a big undertaking you have a horse that's just been racing has been taught to just go as fast as you possibly can and then you try to get them to kind of relax and learn to do something new and we've had tremendous success uh sometimes we get horses that have had injuries and they need some time to rehabilitate Um, we've been able to put horses into um, schooling lesson programs, um, also horses going into therapeutic riding programs, which I'm a huge fan of and I think is incredible. Um, There are programs for children with autism, for veterans dealing with PTSD. Um, There's also another organization called the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation that I work with that puts horses in um, prison programs actually. And it's a vocational study program where Incarcerated individuals have the opportunity to work with horses and to learn skills. And a lot of those individuals get jobs working with horses afterwards and are able to stay out of prison. So I I think it's incredible. And I think it's so important to highlight those kinds of programs.
0: It's amazing. Um, And I think, like we were saying, it's something a lot of people don't realize or know about unless you're really in business like you are um one of the things you also mentioned is your former miss connecticut and my sources um because we have a mutual friend <laughs> um tell me you did kind of both circuits right like and i i don't know a ton about it but you did miss connecticut usa miss connecticut america i think that's a big deal right like having yeah. both and winning both and competing um it you know For both miss usa and miss america's miss connecticut so how did you get into pageantry and how special was it to win for your state um in both circuits that way it's
1: incredible and like you said i mean it's such a big honor um i i never took that lightly um also just the things you get to do and for me personally being miss connecticut opened so many doors for me and i think um you know, pageants right now are another, uh, kind of area that's maybe taking a little bit of fire, you know, is it still relevant? And from personal experience and what I gained from doing that, it it really is. And I think it can do so much for young women. So I started doing pageants, um, towards the end of high school, uh, in my previous life, before I went into broadcast, I thought for the longest time, my plan was to become a professional ballerina and be a professional dancer. So that was kind of the world that I was in. And pageants were an amazing way for me to work on some other skills and like public speaking, which was not something I was really good at at the time. And and also to perform and to dance. So the Miss America organization has the talent portion. So I did ballet and um i won uh i was Miss teen connecticut as well miss connecticut's outstanding teen in high school and then took a little break um came back and i won miss connecticut 2014 in college which was really the one that that changed my life and um, i finished in the top 15 in miss america um and i met some incredible women who are still dear friends and and people that I keep up with a lot. You know, it's kind of fun. The girl that won Miss America that year, Kira Kazantsev Dixon now, um, who was Miss New York, she is a reporter for the Golf Channel. And so it's really cool that we can kind of compare notes yeah. and, you know, she's on the road a lot and covering a lot of the big events and I'm doing the big events in horse racing. So I, I love seeing women who have used that platform and gone on to do something big with it. And for me, I actually got my first job in horse racing while Miss Connecticut because I had done an interview on the radio and somebody heard me say, I like horse racing. And they called me and they said, we'd love to have you um, come on and do the red carpet interviews for our Kentucky Derby show. So you just, you never know. And, um, and I'm always grateful for the, the doors that it opened. And then, um, after I had been working for a little while, I felt I'd kind of lost my spark a bit and i think it's something that we as women and with the world of social media right now we don't really talk about you want to make it seem like everything's okay and you're doing great and and um and i was really struggling i was um i moved to florida i didn't really have any friends there i didn't really have a community i was having a really really tough time and um i decided to go back to pageants. And that's how I met um, Victoria Duke and Chloe Duke, our mutual friends who uh, were the makeup artists from the gods. And uh, I worked with a woman named Jules Meyer, who, Myers, who is my pageant coach in Florida. And I gained a community because of that and um, went on to do Miss Kit USA in 2019. So
0: cool. I, one mm-hmm. thing that you said that really stuck out to me, I think as women, right? We're it's social media and you know, like even right now we're doing this and everything is shiny and great. And yeah. but I think a lot of times like you move somewhere and it's hard and you don't have your best friends by you or yeah. your husband's working and he's three hours away. I mean, that is a hard thing. Yeah, you're making it work, but it's hard. What would be your advice to anyone? Um, no matter what their circumstances, when something is just hard. And you want to get out of that funk um, and maybe pageants aren't, aren't their thing um, though. I mean, what great advice just to take that leap. Um, what is your advice to kind of get out of a, a little funk if you, if you're in one?
1: I think I having something to work towards is such a big piece of it for me at that time. It wasn't necessarily winning a crown. It was just that my whole life I'd been working for a dance competition, working towards a pageant, trying to get into college, trying to get a job. Like I'd been working towards something. And then then um, I was 23, I just finished college. I moved from living in Hell's Kitchen in New York City to um, Fort Lauderdale, Florida in the middle of the summer. And the average age was not 23 in that area. And, um, and I didn't know anybody and I, first just felt like I have to tough it out. It'll get better. And soon it kind of, I kind of realized like, Hey, this is not working for me. This is not who I am. Um, and I felt for myself, like it almost felt like there was kind of a weight on me. And at the time I didn't really know what was going on. I, I had lost motivation. I had gained weight. I didn't want to go out and do stuff, even though I knew I needed to kind of go and do something. And You know, have a bit of a life. And I was kind of clutching on to my job, and that was everything. And that was not who I was. And so, deciding to do a pageant at that point was more for me having something to motivate me and to work towards and to feel like I had a goal. So, I think it doesn't, you know, that was what worked for me, but it doesn't have to be anything like that. It could be even something small, Um, it could be, also at that time, I ended up going back to dance. I was in Florida by myself. And so I said, okay, well, it's prepping for the swimsuit competition. I'm going to sign up at the local studio and take adult ballet classes. And after being there for a year and a half, I hadn't done that. And I was so glad that I did. And it kind of helped me get back to who I felt I was and find a a renewed kind of vigor um, in pursuing something.
0: And what's something you do now when you're away from work that's just for you? Um, that kind of just makes you feel happy or something that's unrelated to horses, if you will? So
1: I've gotten really into yoga um, and it's always something that I've enjoyed. And I think there's kind of like, oh, yogis are a little crazy and maybe so, but I find that it, it, it really like helps me center myself. And I think it's so important to have something like that. So I love going to my hot yoga classes. Um, I have a studio I like in all of the locations where I am. And they know like, okay, you're here for the season and we'll see you in a few months. And um, that's what it is. Uh, But I think I think that has been just kind of like my safe space. And when I'm in New York, I still try to go take dance classes um, and take drop-in classes in the city. Um, Maybe I'm not as good as I used to be and I'm not as flexible and things hurt a little bit more than they did when I was younger. But I think it's just, um, it's so important to to just do something and move your body. For me, that's always what's kind of like, that's the part
0: for me. Totally. What about all the constant travel? Like I'm always... Fascinated. And I even, I mean, on little work travel, I'm like always trying to think of better hacks to make my life easier. Even when you're doing your three hour road trips, have you picked up on any travel hacks that um, are worthwhile or just make your, I mean, make your life easier? Anything worth sharing that um, people need to know?
1: yeah I have I feel like I've gotten very well accustomed um, to travel uh, when I um right now I'm driving three hours each week to go to Saratoga but in April and November when Miguel goes to Florida, I fly back and forth each yeah. week so I spend a lot of time on planes and I think it's a comfort thing um, I always make sure to pack snacks that I like because oh, I always find like I can't you know find something at the airport or if I don't bring anything with me. I'm more apt to go to like the peanut MMs and ms yes. and, you know, do something like that. And, um, and then I just don't feel great. So I always bring that. I always bring, um, like comfy socks to have on the plane, just something that like feels a little bit like home. Um, and then as far as packing, uh, I feel like you have to be really disciplined with what you're going to wear. So that's a good thing for me that I'm a planner and I love my lists. And I have my list every week of like what I need to wear. What kind of, you know, like underwear do I need? Can I wear the same pair of shoes for three days, you know, with this outfit to save space? And I try to plan it around that. Um, And so I think being disciplined and, and being really organized really helps, especially like I only travel with my one carry on bag and my big Mary Poppins purse with all my stuff in it. But um, I think it's little things from home, whether it's a snack or like a tea that you like that you can bring on the plane or in the car or something. And then um, being organized with what you're putting
0: in your suitcase. Which is not what everyone wants to hear. You know, it's not the outfits, but it is the right advice, right? Um, You
1: will not wear the fifth pair of shoes, I promise you.
0: That is the hardest thing is limiting the shoes and they're heavy. Um, they are, but when you talk about outfits, I think you're in a business where, and you you not where outfits are. What I want to say is, being in a female in journalism, outfits are looked at, and your appearance is so key. But the message I want to ask is, being in horse racing is a different kind of glam, a different kind of look. Um, that is so fascinating because what everyone talks about when you get to derby time and Preakness in Belmont too, but I think the Kentucky Derby, right? Yeah. Everyone's talking about the outfits, the um, hats and the fascinators. Um, what is that like? And, and can you let us in on, on how you kind of get ready each year for um, just reporting and getting ready for the looks and um, all of that fun stuff?
1: I think that the fashion side of things is something that should be embraced and celebrated. I mean, it's fun. There's, there's some, there's no other way to put it. You know, I think sometimes people in the industry kind of look down on talking about the fashion on big race days, but why not? I mean, where else in the world now can you come out with a giant hat and like this great dress and men in seersucker suits. It's fun. Like, why not enjoy it? Why not embrace it? I think it's one of the, um, traditions about the sport that I really love. And, um, so I, I do, um, a couple different roles sometimes on a daily basis where I'm hosting some on the desk for like the early part of the show, the first half of the races, and then I'll go down and I'll be reporting and I'll doing be doing interviews. So for me, when I um, buy clothes and I'm very much a bargain hunter too, but I try to be really careful about like good necklines and things that I can sit in, but then also things that I can stand and move around in and um and i'm pretty tall too i'm five nine and i'll be interviewing oftentimes uh you know jockeys who are smaller and things so i usually don't wear heels if i do it's kind of like a small block heel and Mm -hmm. i'm also on my feet a lot um i resisted the sneaker with dress trend for a while until this summer when i finally couldn't do it anymore and i don't know why
0: i waited so long (laughs) um (laughs) The other cool thing about horses, and I think I saw this on your Instagram um, with your father-in-law and your husband, they have uh, a neat thing about in training and and um, owning horses is you get to name horses and racehorses have fascinating names and you on one of your posts mentioned how you named a horse. I'm curious how often you get to do that and what goes into naming a racehorse because it is a big deal, especially if they go on to win, like that is a name you talk about for a long, long time. It has to be a good one. Um, what went into the horse that you named and what goes into naming them overall?
1: Yeah, it really is very specific. So I don't get to very often, but we have one owner with um, the stables. Um, His name is Dean Reeves and he has quite a few horses with my father-in-law and is a terrific guy. And um, he said, uh, I guess it was now last year. Yes, last year. Um, I have this two-year-old that we're really excited about. Um, My husband, Miguel, actually picked him out as a young horse too at the sales. So we can't think of a name. What do you think? And Oftentimes with racehorses, you'll have the mother and the father, the sire and the dam, and you'll see a name kind of derived from that, or oftentimes they'll be combined. Sometimes it'll be totally off the rail, but usually it's something in relation to the parents of the horse. When you pick a name, then it has to be approved by the jockey club, which is kind of the governing body of the sport. And they will often... um, look up well they will always look up to see if there's anything similar so if for instance um recently we had an owner that wanted to name a horse big joker that was not approved because there was already a horse named big joke so you can't Ah. have anything too similar Um, you also can't have anything that they think is inappropriate sometimes uh names get by uh the jockey club without them realizing it uh, a couple years ago. It's a funny story. There's a horse whose name is FNX, E-F-F-I-N-E-X. And the owner said it was named after his ex-wife, FNX. And it got through and the horse was really successful actually (laughs) like in big races and they missed that one. Um, but I imagine it's coming up on
0: closed captioning somewhere like spelled wrong one time. Yeah. Yes.
1: (laughs) oh yeah absolutely absolutely um so sometimes things get through which is kind of funny actually but for the most part they will try to catch it if they think it's inappropriate um so this one horse uh this the sire the father was a horse named candy ride and then the dam the mother was named sweet aloha and they said we can't think of a name um we think this source is really good so i said well I want to look at hawaiian candy shops and see if there's like any inspiration there because of the sweet aloha and candy ride and i found um this word name called senbei which is a japanese Tea cookie. It's S-E-N-B-E-I. And I guess it's really popular in Hawaiian candy shops. And that. they say, I love it. That's great. Let's let's do that. And then the horse won his first race in Saratoga in the summer when I was reporting. And he actually became um champion two-year-old in New York. So it was super cool that the first horse I got to name. Um um, became a champion. And I was really grateful that I got that experience. So super special. Um, uh, Dean let me name a couple others. So hopefully we have some good ones coming up because right now I'm one for one naming champions.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Can you share any of the <laughs> other names?
1: Yeah. And um, there is another one um, who is the uh, sire is Bated Breath. And then the The mother is on the stage. So I wanted something related with dancing. And anybody that's performing has probably heard the time one more time with feeling. So the name is with feeling. Um, and none of the guys understood it. And I said, It's one more time with feeling. Um, so that relates to on the stage, and then there is another uh Philly that just came in, and the sire is Bolt Dioro, D apostrophe O R O. So he's a a pretty exciting stallion. So I wanted to play on the Dioro part. So her name is Miss Dior D apostrophe O R Cherie, which was the name of my favorite perfume. So uh yes. she's a little uh to oh, a little fashion designer Yeah Dior. Yeah. Like a, yeah a
0: glamorous one. Exactly. Good. Exactly.
1: Thank you. It's a lot of pressure though too.
0: But it's so cool and fun and like yeah. they really can I mean it's not like you're naming a, a baby where it's like they yeah. you know yeah. There, it really has to go with the last name and a middle name, and you can really have some fun with it. Yeah, you can. And
1: it's funny, like, sometimes you'll see horses that have human names, which I just think is hysterical. Like, there was this horse several years ago that was named Dave. Just Dave, which is so funny because often you'll see people get really creative with the name um, and they have to be a certain number of characters too. I think it's 18. So that includes spaces. And um, so it can't be too long either. It can't be like a long phrase. And uh, so sometimes you'll see them go for human names, but for the most time, people get really creative with it.
0: So cool. Okay. Yeah. We have a few more minutes with you. What is the best part of your job?
1: um i think it's great because i really get a chance to cover something that i'm very passionate about um that it's something i care about too and especially um now with being married to miguel and seeing firsthand with his family all the work that goes into it i feel so much closer to it as well you know you get to know the staff you know the hot walkers the grooms the exercise riders all the people that make it possible and you know, that that one horse has so many people that have helped it along the way and and then have a chance to kind of bring them so much joy and, and fun as a result. And I love that I get to call that work. You know, it, it oftentimes doesn't feel like work.
0: It's such a, a cool sport. And I feel like we were saying before, you know, it has so much tradition, but it's also been maybe limited to a, a fan base of, mm-hmm. of a certain, you know, Group that maybe their their family was born into it, or even a, a wealthier fan base, if you will. Yeah. What would you do to appeal the sport to a larger group of people, or where do you see this sport going in in the future to um appeal to a larger fan base and and maybe make it more popular? Well,
1: I think we need to continue taking clues from other sports. You know, I think one of the mistakes that horse racing makes is, There is a lot of information available. And on big days, I see sometimes that they try to dumb the information down. You know, when you look at stats for football or basketball, that information is not dumbed down for you, but it's available. In horse racing, it's not really readily available and it's kind of limited. I think we need to give people the information because I think it's one of the fun things about it. You know, if you go to a casino and you play a slot machine You, it's just luck, you never know, you know, if you go to a horse race, and you want to make a $2 bet, it's a really limited investment, but you feel like you can make an educated guess. And I think that that's one of the fun things about it. Because you can say, I've done the work, I've looked at the stats, I've been able to look at all the information available to me. And I think this horse has a big chance of winning. To me, I think that that's something that would appeal to a lot of people, appeal to young people, appeal to people who think it's a fun puzzle to tackle. And at the end of the day, when you place that bet, that is your horse for those two minutes when he's racing and you really have the chance to root and feel like you're part of something. Um, I think those are the things we need to highlight a little bit
0: more. I think that's such a good point. Like, You don't need to dumb it. Down right and and that it also is a a good point too right as women in sports a lot of times like we're maybe thinking we have to talk about the simpler things or want to to make sure we get it right do you ever find yourself wanting to make sure that you are so thorough in your reporting in your notes just to make sure that no one is commenting about something you said wrong or noted wrong or got wrong are do you find yourself over preparing to make sure that you are doing your very best um so as to not get any comments
1: absolutely all the time um i definitely i guess you could say probably go a little overboard sometimes but but i go so much in depth because i i want to make sure that i have things accurate and then you're still gonna be critiqued um the other thing about this sport is that you're also sharing your opinions and at the end of the day these are live animals and things can happen yeah. you know they could get stuck in traffic in the race or they can just something's not 100 percent. and you know as a human you wake up you don't feel like running you know you're not gonna run your best yeah. that day things happen and i understand and respect that people are betting their money but um if my opinion's wrong, I'm definitely going to get some messages on Twitter about it. And um, especially because they don't come from racing. And I think especially because I'm a young woman, I think it opens up to criticism a little bit more. I get the question a lot of times, oh, do you do all your own handicapping, which is looking through the races and picking your winners? I said, yes, why wouldn't I? Everybody else on the show does. Why wouldn't I do all my own handicapping? I do all my own prep work. Um, And so that's, a little bit frustrating i think that we're, we're you know changing a bit and of course with social media people feel like they're closer to you and they can comment and share their views positive or negative um i think in general our show gets a lot of positive feedback but um you're always gonna get comments and i think that always fuels me to to over prepare but i always tell myself i would rather be over-prepared than under-prepared. And that's just kind of who I am in my type A personality.
0: I love that. I'm the same. Over-prepared and overdressed. I think Mm -hmm. you can never be either. Um, Acacia, we have to let you go to um, be live. But um, last question that I always (laughs) ask everyone, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received?
1: The best piece of advice I've received is to, to not be afraid to ask for what you want. Um, It's something that I really had to get over the fear of doing when I started working at Naira. I found I was kind of on, always on, um, you know, the smaller shows. And finally I worked up the courage and said, I feel like I can handle more. I would love to do more. Um, What can I do to get to that next level? And my boss said, um, most people come in and complain. They don't come in and ask, what can I do to get there? And I've seen that I've been given a lot more opportunities since then. And it was really scary for me to ask for more and to ask for more work and to ask for bigger chances. But it's something that I think you're never going to regret doing.
0: Such good advice and a great way to end it. Where can everyone find you? Um, On Twitter, Instagram, um,
1: it's Acacia underscore Clement. of my husband's French, so it's spelled like Clement, Um, but uh, you can find me there on social media. DMs are always open.
0: I love that. Yes, that's. you were so sweet and kind to respond via DM. Um, So appreciate having you, and um, thank you for such great insight, and we will be keeping up as race season is underway, so thank you. Thank you for your time, and so enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you so much, Jordan, it was great to meet you too.